Welcome to the Power Players by Orgis, featuring solar and energy storage leaders and their critical thinking to deliver the clean energy promise. My name is Cynthia Katib. I welcome you to this episode hosted by Michael Iman, Managing Director of Orgis Services. Okay, today on Power Players, we've got Richard Matsui, CEO and founder of Kilowatt Hour Analytics. Uh, Richard has been involved in solar for quite some time, going going back to his times with McKinsey, and and then founded. I think you founded KWH in 2012, and since that time have really been focused as the CEO and founder on you know site performance, insurance, funding, and really how to optimize sort of the front end of these things. And so you know today we're going to talk to Richard a little bit about how to connect site performance and how you invest in both from both from a capex side on the front end and your opex side on the back end with your O&M operators and asset management strategies because how you maintain a plan is going to have a direct impact on on how it operates and how much it how much power it delivers so richard welcome to power players Thanks tell for us having about me, Mike. yourself and tell us a little bit about kwh absolutely well the first thing uh is that even as I'm looking at you at this camera, there's a, a window right behind you for me. And at least that, that window for me is of a, a beautiful Honolulu. So I'm, I'm out here in Hawaii, which is where I was born and raised. And so uh, perhaps on a personal note, one of the things you, you learn very quickly in Hawaii is that, uh, especially when I was growing up, that nearly 100% of our energy, our power requirements were coming off of burning diesel oil, which is two things, one from an environmental from a climate standpoint, obviously not the ideal solution. But second of all, is that when you have crises, such as a hurricane coming through or a, you know, a global oil shortage, like these become things that are, are more than inconveniences for, for those of us who live on the island. Like this becomes a, what's going to happen to our hospitals? What's going to happen to life here if, if this um, dependence on fossil fuels is not resolved? So I think from a, from a personal standpoint, I think that, um, yeah, there's been a, a early recognition that this is a, an important solution to an important problem. Hawaii is one of the first states that could recognize the, the importance of putting a, a statewide target on, on uh, achieving a certain level of renewable adoption. And been glad to see that the rest of the country has followed suit rapidly. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense on, on top of having to import all the sources of power from the mainland. Uh, you know, Hawaii has an abundance of sun and wind and natural resources, so it, it makes sense to to use those, right? And it and it seems like, and on top of it, at the time, and I think still today, the highest grid rates in, in the country. So coming from that viewpoint, it makes total sense how you know you would you would end up in McKenzie and sort of get into solar and then and then be pushing that way. So so tell me a little bit about uh, KWH Analytics and sort of where do you guys focus in the marketplace? Sure. Like we, we are building out what we think of as the insurer for the energy transition, which means that you know, we provide the industry with both you know, information on how to better manage these risks and also tools like financial products that can be used to, to mitigate risk appropriately. And so I think, uh, at least particularly for this conversation here, it's, uh, we're probably best known for what we do on the data side of things, which is where we have data from about 30% of the solar power plants here in the United States that we're pulling the information from, using that insight to then drive uh, results around uh, or drive insights with regards to asset performance, but also, of course, being able to provide products that better fit those problems that are emerging in, in the data. No, that makes sense. What, um, 
and you guys issue, I mean, you don't just do this, uh, you know, as part of, you know, your, your commercial operations, right? You also issue some annual reports in particular, uh, you, the solar risk assessment, uh, you just put that out in 2021, I think last month, uh, you guys call it SRA 21, right? And, and there was, it's, it's broken down into three sort of critical areas, right? The first is about the risk around the financial modeling, and then you guys get into sort of operational risks. And then finally, you sort of talked about extreme weather, which has been something that people have talked about a lot. And I think there was like 14 different subtopics that you had underneath it, those three segments with three different, with, I'm sorry, 10 different uh you know, sort of partners that were all experts in the industry that were sort of weighing in with their viewpoint. You know, thinking about the connection between production, you know, an asset's value, what it produces, and then how to really optimize it from a cost perspective, where to make good investments, where those investments can really impact. Like, what things came out of SRA 21 uh, that that perhaps people should be going back and taking a look at it and thinking about. Yeah, so I think this year's SRA had a, a number of really interesting points to them. So maybe I'll take it, describe the philosophy for a bit, and then let me describe some of the uh, getting sure. back to your questions. So at least the philosophy sure. of the, the report. Yeah, it's your show. Yeah, you, know, you want to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so at least the, the philosophy, of it, and as you know, it's that um, this industry is both very young and has been around for at least you know a decade plus now. And so because befitting a relatively young industry, there's a lot of a, you know, qualitative perspective around what's happening in the field, right? Um, and the, the challenge is that these, uh, there's a lot of conflicting narratives about what's actually happening for, uh, with regards to these assets and how they're performing in the field. And so our belief here is like, look, it's, it's great that everyone's got a different perspective, right? I think that, um, of course, like an O&M provider will be able to see things that literally happen in the field. A panel manufacturer will be able to see what happens in terms of their, both in terms of their manufacturing lines, but also with regards to like the, you know, the return policies. Uh, an IE is going to get to see a different part. The asset owner is going to get to see a different part, right? But like each one of these firms is going to be looking at these assets with a very specific viewpoint. But one that's it's a bit hard to actually appreciate all the other viewpoints in there. But once you can start pulling those different viewpoints, you can start to get some very interesting conclusions about what's actually happening to us as an asset class. And so the thinking was two things. One is like, let's make sure we have that diversity of, of viewpoints because that will drive the real insight. But the second is to uh, require that everyone contribute like one key statistic into this that the, the industry may not know today. And so by doing so, we make sure that this discussion is very much centered on facts rather than opinions. And of course, moving the industry forward. So that's the, you know, the philosophy involved there. And you know, I think to your point, you know, having, you know, Woodmac involved, having DNB involved, like having some pretty sizable firms involved, of course, will just help to, to build out that industry dialogue. So that's where, where we came from. In terms of where so, you know, some of these takeaways come into the market, uh, I would say the <laughs> some of the things that are less new and then some things that are newer. So um, one thing that we, we did find was that the investors are now seeing, whenever they invest in this whole power plant, there's about a one in eight chance that these assets will be a chronic underachiever is what we call them. So meaning that they will be underperforming even their P99 you know, downside scenario um, over a multi-year period, which of course the P99 is in the finance world believed to be the, you know, this, this will never happen kind of scenario. When you see that they're happening, you know, 10 times more frequently than, you know, than this you know, should never happen scenario is, suddenly starts to call into question, you know, what is we as an industry believed to be possible versus not possible. So I think that's, Perhaps like the single biggest 
friends, and of course, there's been a, a number of others. We can talk back to those in a second. And of course, the, the number one question we received from this report was, okay, given that there's so much unperformance happening out there, what should we believe to be the, the right solution? Is it the fact that the industry is overestimating energy production, or is it actually the case that the assets themselves are underperforming? And to some extent, these, these two views are absolutely the two sides of the same coin, right? Like yeah, overestimating or underproduction, same thing. Well, they're, <laughs> measuring, they're measure against each other. So if, if one or the other is wrong, you're going to see both sides, right? I mean, when you say, when, when asset owners say sites are underperforming, they don't mean from what it can do from a f physical perspective. They mean from, from their model, <laughs> right? right. Exactly. They're measuring against. So they're kind of, I don't even know if they're two sides of the same coin. I think there are different views of one side <laughs> of the coin from my perspective. Yeah, and that, no, and that's absolutely true, right? But I do think that the reason why I even mentioned this, right? Because it is the same thing, so fully agree. But the reason why I bring it up is that if you believe that these assets are overestimated, the solutions that you start thinking about is, okay, how do I stop someone from doing irradiance shopping, you know, when they're flipping me an asset? How do I think about which IEs I'm selecting, right? Like there's a certain set of solutions that you might think about when it comes to overestimation. If you believe that the asset, for, the core problem is actually underperformance, you start thinking about a completely different set of issues, right? You start thinking about uh, what is the warranty setup, you know, when I buy this asset, you know, for the inverters, you know, which O&M partner am I working with? How am I funding my O&M reserves? And there's a different set of questions I think you think about if you believe that the core problem is underperformance. But I agree with you, it is the same thing. Well, it's always been interesting to me too, because, and I think you see this as well, although if you don't tell me, uh, but, you know, owners, long-term owners don't do a good job of discriminating between high quality assets and sort of average or even low quality assets, right? They, and I'm not sure if the, if it's a lack of data or, or if it's a lack of focus or they just don't know how, um, but that's the case. So if you're on the developer side of things, right, and you're building assets, what is the return on the investment to investing more CapEx and more of your money on the front end to make sure that that asset is really of high quality when you're going to get the same price at, at sale no matter what, right? You, your, your goal is to put as little money into it as possible to optimize your, your return. And so there's this, this disconnect. I mean, how, how can, you know, sort of speaking on the upstream side, not the operation side, but the upstream side of things, how can the industry or owners shift their, their mentality so that they can identify when assets are better, i.e. they're not going to be that one and eight, they'll be, you know, they'll be two and eight that perform or whatever it is above that P99. How do they identify those? And then, and then when they do, are they worth more and should they be paying a little bit more for those? Yeah, and I think the, the answer is, it's got to be yes, right? I mean, if, if we as an industry are trying to build a real industry, we can't be in this mindset of, well, I'm going to do this thing and flip to the next guy and I just hope that it's going to work out <laughs> for them. And that, that's not the, 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 the attitude I think we collectively would be ascribing to or aspiring to. It's just, you know, it happens to be that there's a number of profit pressures that kind of push the industry more in that direction. If I were to, to describe the, at least our view on like solutions to this, we think it's transparency. Like we think that there's not a single LP or GP that goes into a transaction saying, I'm going to buy this terrible asset and I'm just going to fool myself into thinking it's, it's a great deal, right? Like, but there's, there's concerns and there's concerns that can't really be quantified because there's historically been a lack of transparency. And so one of the tools that we provide at least is just straight up data. So if you're looking to acquire a solar farm in a given area, 
that's using a certain type of hardware in a certain type of location. Now we have data from 20 other projects in that area that look quite similar. And so therefore being able to at least provide the data points to enable an investor to be clear-eyed with regards to like, here's the areas where someone might be conservative, here's someone might be aggressive, and at least putting some facts to what's otherwise a very kind of conversation. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Do you see that actually happening at some point in the future? That 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 those valuations will become more fact based and and uh, sort of contemplate how these sites are made, what they're made of, how they're constructed, and therefore understand what that you know, how to characterize that performance more accurately down the line. Yeah, we've been working with a number of financial institutions on exactly that question because uh, you know there's no financial institution that wants to do a bad deal, right? Like I said, and I think that when we look at other look at any mature asset class, there's always some ability to look at market comps. In fact, for most asset classes, that is the dominant way that someone's going to look at you know, valuation in particular, like looking at comps. We don't think soil is going to be any different in a long-term basis. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It, it, you know, from the operations side of things, you know, sort of shifting to now the site's built and it's constructed and how it was built and what it was built with and how it was modeled, that's all set, right? The, the operator doesn't doesn't have a, 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 a an opinion or weigh in on those upstream activities. So now you're in the operations mode. Your site's not performing the way you know you thought it would. You know where should owners focus when they're thinking about how how to sort of deal with that? And, and you know because I, I think the same mentality applies. I get it all the time where we'll be competing in the marketplace with with another company on the O and M side. And an owner will just say, well, I got this other quote here that's lower than yours. What are you going to do about it? And the scopes are vastly different, right? The amount of work, the obligations, really, really different. But the owners don't understand the differences between those. They just see a number, right? And so that question of do you invest in that higher number and does that have an outcome, I think is a valid question to address. Absolutely. And this is where we have a view, but because we are one of those multiple perspectives, like I would very much like to hear what you, your take on this. You've been operating these assets for, for a, a number of years now. At least what, what we're saying is that um, there's a fair amount of overestimation going on in this market, right? So that's that's fully true. But to your point, okay, take that aside. Now you've already got the operating asset. Now what? And so what I think about is next is you know what Radian General is describing, that you know, when they look at the, the percentage of tickets, they do this beautiful pie chart of just here's where all the tickets are coming from, and then also looking at the lost energy, you know, for, as a result of that. Like unsurprisingly, like the number one culprit was coming out to be on the inverter side, right? No. And, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But the guys <laughs> told me that this thing that always works, <laughs> right? So um, that's you know, I think that's you know clearly where a lot of the industry attention needs to, to fall is. You know, how we think about both like the servicing and on the upfront, you know, warranty provisioning of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the problem is that I think that we all have structures in the industry is that, as, as you know, I mean, every year or two, there's some large manufacturer that's going to declare bankruptcy, right? We don't know which one it is, especially not 10 years ahead of time. But this is just a fact of, of, of a really rapidly growing space like ours. And so, you know, Suntech was the biggest, they went out of business, Yingli was the biggest, they went to bankruptcy. You know, on, on the inverter side, I mean, you also can kind of go down the list of the number of firms that was around, but then they're not around anymore. So even like the best laid plans from an, an upfront diligence standpoint don't necessarily pan out, you know, when it comes down to four years later, you've got your SACCON inverters and it's like, look, you can't really figure out where I get the replacement parts for anymore. So that, that's where it starts getting a bit out, out of my expertise zone. And I'd love to hear more about your, your view on that question as well. 
Well, I think inverters and sort of how to, you know, de-risk that decision is is probably an entire podcast series all by itself. Sure. Um, you know, broadly speaking, I would say that, you know, you know, even when I was at SunPower and I was running procurement there for inverters specifically before, you know, really dealing with them in the field operationally, they, you know, the, again, there was a strong emphasis on price and there probably wasn't an understanding of the complexities of the different architectures and what that meant as far as the failure rates. And, and uh, in addition, there was a, you know, sort of this, this bias that big companies with big financial backing were lower risk. And yet, you know, time and time again, some of the biggest companies in our industry, and I'm talking about companies like Eaton, you know, ABB, Schneider, General Electric. Naming names, Mike, I like it. Like these are teams like, yeah. of companies that like that know their stuff and make good equipment. And in almost all of the cases of every name that I mentioned, one one exception only did it one time, have been in and out of the market multiple times with different products. And they've never gone bankrupt, but they have exited the market when they found out those products weren't performing profitably for them as a company, which means that those assets, regardless of the financial viability of the company, were stranded. You were stranded assets that you then had to figure out how to support long term. And inevitably, the cost of that support when the supply chain shut down and the parts shut down and everything goes up. Right. And it's not contemplated when you've got these large assets that are 20 or 30 year assets. It's one of the arguments really for string inverters where you can sort of pull them off and swap them out with much more uh, facility and ease and, and at a much lower cost and not have to go through sort of large scale as much large scale redesign and, and rebuild. But but again, that's, you know, and then, of course, there's, you know, extracting response times, extracting performance, you know, and uptime guarantees and availability guarantees and making sure that the contracts have teeth, that they've got technicians that can provide the response time, that they've got, you know, parts that are pre-positioned in the geographic area so that you can get decent, you know, response. And so there's a number of things that all happen. And again, these are all upstream activities. You know, these are things that the developer and the owners and the EPCs negotiate sometimes years in advance of operations, right? And then it gets to the operator and you get a contract with no response times, you know, no availability guarantees, no teeth to hold the inverter manufacturers to actually respond in, in what we would consider a timely manner. And the owners look at us and say, well, what are you going to do? And my short answer is, well, I'm going to follow the contract and the warranty because if I don't and I violate your warranty and your warranty gets voided, then now I'm accountable, right? And I can't do that, but you didn't negotiate a good enough contract up front for me to really have leverage on this situation. So that's sort of the, the you know high level where a lot of that core issue is. But to your point, understanding where you have the most failure rates and understanding how to invest uh, in against those failure rates to try to mitigate them years in advance by maybe paying a little more for the right inverter or an inverter that has a lower failure rate, uh, and, or maybe paying a little more for a longer warranty or consolidating your demand so that you can extract more obligations will will pay off big time in the long run. But what do you guys see, you know, again, trying to connect that performance and cost perspective, where do, do you guys see those as, as really viable and valuable investments to make? Or are there other areas? Like how do you invest for performance, both during operations and upstream? Absolutely. And I think that 
you know, going back to this idea of the transparency point that, you know, really what our industry has is a bit of a problem with uh, price discovery, right? I mean, I think to your point, everyone knows what cost is, but the value is actually a lot harder to understand, right? Yeah. And that, that one insight just drives, explains so much of individual behavior that you see across our entire value chain. And so one of the things that we think that we provide, you know, through this data is that, um, as an example, if we are being asked to provide insurance for a certain solar power plant that's using hardware that, according to the data set of, you know, 300,000 plus facilities, we see that the performance of, of that hardware is not very good. Like, unsurprisingly, we do what any insurance company would do for that, right? Like, that's going to be more expensive to insure. Just like how if you have your, you know, your teenage son who wants to, <laughs> to, to, to start driving, you know, all of a sudden. Like, look, statistically speaking, like you see that that's the risk of behavior. The insurance industry does have the ability to price that in. And as a result, it's able to help guide behavior. But in the absence of that kind of feedback loop of someone with the data that put a price signal on that, it's actually pretty difficult for someone to know, is this good? Is this bad? How should I think about this? I can see a cost, but I can't really see the value. And what insurance does in anything in, in any uh, part of finance is about trying to look forward and be able to pull, for, you know, pull forward the insights from that data to a, a uh, price that's here today. And as a result, enabling people to make better decisions. And so when our clients start seeing that certain hardware manufacturers start to have a higher insurance premium associated with them, like that's going to be a feedback loop that can help them to make better decisions next time around. We're one of many of these feedback loops though, right? I'm sure that when you speak with your clients, I'm sure they ask you, hey, you know, Mike, what do you think about inverter X or, or panel Y? And that ability for you to tell them like, look, if you're going to give me inverter X, we're happy to do it, but look, you know, here's a the kind of downstream cost that we're going to see associated with that. Like that's exactly the sort of transparency that the industry needs. Yeah, I think the challenge we have is is inverter uh, in particular, but really trackers, you know, all of your DC infrastructure, everything. You know, those products turn over every few years. So by the time you have enough data to provide a good, you know, uh, answer, they're on to the next product and sort of it's 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 overcome by events, as we used to say in the military. So, you know, that's that's part of the challenge. You do see trends with certain manufacturers based on their broad approach to the design of their equipment, but but it's harder hard to do. Um, and and insurance companies, for their part, you know, going through that insurance process with brokers out, you know, out to the big guys to underwrite things, and you know, that's a very opaque process from from a consumer or business perspective. And so how are the insurance companies getting better information? Are they properly handicapping or pricing the risk around specific architectures? I haven't seen evidence of that to date. I hope that's coming because I think that would move the needle for the industry and start to shape behaviors a little better. Um, but you're in that. You tell me, what's, where are things going there? Uh, I wish I could disagree with you, Mike. So by and large, that's exactly right. I think that the insurers that have been operating in the renewable space, historically speaking, are not experts at renewables. I mean, I, I, one way I think about it is think back to SPI, which I know it takes, we all have to clear out the, the memory cells a little bit. Like, last time we're SPI, right. Last time we're SPI or name your solar conference, what insurance person did you run into? And do they, do they know this space? Right. And like, most of the time, I don't run into anyone else for insurance in our, in our industry. And second is that when you do run into them, there's, the level of questions they're asking tend to be a bit more superficial um, about the industry, right? Like we don't have a whole lot of, a deep bench of true industry experts operating in the insurance world. Should we be surprised, therefore, that when uh, innovation comes down the pipe or something happens in our industry, that they are the kind of first to bolt? 
because they didn't really understand the space that well to begin with. And so therefore they can be blindsided. So uh, one of the things that we hope to be able to do is that by using the power of this data to bring in more of that insurance capacity to be able to show to the, the insurance industry, look, this is understandable. You, one can build reliable actuarial tables on this risk. That's something that's historically been missing. Yeah. So how are you guys going to play in that space going forward? I know that that's one of your areas of focus. I mean, but I don't know that you provide brokerage services or anything like that. So like how how are you guys going to push this along? I think you and I have been talking about this subject just personally, I think for years now, truthfully, uh, on and off. Um, so how do you how do you see KWH Analytics and, and you as the CEO and founder sort of pushing this forward? I think to me, two things. Like one is that, you know, as you know, we do have that solar revenue put product already. And so, of course, you know, being able to continue to hedge or guarantee a certain level of energy output and, of course, revenue streams from the solar farms. We'll continue to do that. We've already crossed the $3 billion mark of solar projects insured, and I, I do continue expect that to continue. Um, with regards to the second point, though, I think that where the industry attention is really come to spotlight in the last couple of quarters is really on property insurance rates, which have, uh, you know, as chronicled in the solar risk assessment, you know, I think lockdown showed that there's a, you know, 20 to 30% year-on-year increase in cost yeah. of that which, uh, as, as we all know, like solar is not the sort of industry where you can have any line item in that, in that pro forma go up by 20 to 30% for several years on, on end without there being some pretty serious implications. Yeah. And so the second half of this year, we'll be bringing to market a property insurance product as well. And we'll also be able to, you know, brokers as well as their, uh, their clients be able to use to help mitigate that issue. I'd like to talk to you about that because, you know, as an operator on the operator side, our, our contracts typically escalate anywhere from two to 3% per year. So when you have a large line item that's going up 20, 30% and the owner's sort of response is, well, sorry, that's your problem. Right. I mean, that's, you know, cause they're dealing with their own cost escalations on the owner side. Right. It's, and to your point, it, it, you know, when 10 years of, of contract escalation gets absorbed by one year of increase in insurance, that's not good. Right. That, that's a bad situation. And that, that's where we find ourselves today. So I look forward to that product. You need to let me know when when you guys uh, start to offer it. But, you know, talking about the energy put a little bit, you and I first sort of discussed this, I think, five years ago. Right. Uh, it's been a while and you guys have taken it to market. It's been great. And, you know, it's always been my view that the correct place for performance guarantees is really via an insurance product where the owner you know, owns that because you're you're literally insuring your production, right? You're insuring the financial performance of the site and the vast majority of the inputs that go into controlling that performance are made upstream by the owner and by everybody else. Whereas the operators, you know, we can control how quick we get to things, you know, how fast we grab a part off the shelf and resolve it, but we can't control how long it takes the part to get here when it's coming from overseas. We can't control you know, warranty partners who don't have any obligations to respond in a timely manner. We certainly don't control the weather or how the site was built or how it was modeled, which is what we're being measured against. And so performance guarantees at the operator's level have never really made a lot of sense. You know, back in the day with SunPower, when you and I first talked about this and with First Solar and others where, you know, they were building it and everything else. And so that it, it sort of made sense from that perspective. And it was their equipment. That's just not really the case today with anybody anymore. No one does that any longer. And so if owners want to ensure their performance, they really need to reach out to somebody like you guys, 
understand the inputs to those performance, mitigate against them, and then take out their own product that they can sort of hedge hedge against that performance with. So that's been my view for quite a long time. Uh, but but I'm curious as to whether or not one you still see it the same way, or or and how the market is seeing it. I, I well, one is that yeah, I fully agree in that one could see that there's going to be a natural evolution in the industry. I mean, to your point, right? Sun Power back. 10 years ago, it's a very vertically integrated firm. You know, if there was going to be one firm that should feel comfortable saying, putting their stamp of approval and saying, I will guarantee this whole thing, it should be sometime, right? And so I yeah. think that made a lot of sense that this is where the industry started. Obviously, there's been a tremendous amount of fragmentation as the industry has grown, but also there's been so many specialists that have come through, right? You know, the idea of someone who's going to do panel manufacturing all the way through to, you know, develop EPC O&M. Like, I don't think any of us really see a, a, an immediate return to that kind of model, not given how competitive each one of those, those value uh, points have become. And so, uh, you know, we do think that it's natural for an industry to also start specializing that someone with a lot of data can start stepping in with, with certain levels of guarantees to, to make these uh, transactions more, uh, more easily done. But I guess, you know, to, to, to just given your, your lens on the industry, um, what is true, though, is that the O&M has it's played a very significant role, right? It, it's true that, look, you might not be the one that negotiated the inverter contract. It's true that you don't control the weather, right? There are a number of things you don't control, but the things that you do control are very significant. And so I know there's been a at least a five-year-long you know, dialogue that we've had about, is the industry going to move to a point where there is less of a, you know, here's the bare minimum I need to get done from an asset owner standpoint, and like, do that and then try to get as much as I can from Mike. But at the end of the day, if he tells me like this other stuff's gonna cost you more, forget it. Like, is there a point where that's gonna change in our market? And if so, like what what was gonna force that kind of change? Yeah, it's interesting. People will buy vehicles, right? And they'll maintain those vehicles and they sort of understand, look, if I do the bare minimum or as little as possible on the maintenance or none at all, my vehicle's not gonna last as long, but we'll spend a half a billion dollars on a solar asset and not understand that same basic premise, right? So it's uh, hopefully that this uh, podcast, along with a lot of others, will start to drive some of that stuff home. So look, we're getting close to the end. So, you know, top three things from your perspective owners can do to sort of invest in the performance of their sites. Oof. I should have so, given it earlier. I yeah. know they're always hard, you know, off the cuff. <laughs> So I'm just going to babble for a second while you think about yeah. your response, talk about something else. Like, that's a really nice shirt. In any case, top three, what do you think? All right. So if I, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and I'm going to go with one is like, know what you're stepping into, right? Like, it's your point. Like, these are 10 years ago, I think if you're an investor in our space before you're buying an asset, you have some valid excuses why you may not be able to cover all the bases here. But look, we now have more than $100 billion worth of cumulative investment made just in this country into operating solar power plants, right? Like there's like a fair amount of experience that we now have. And so there shouldn't be an excuse for missing on some pretty elementary things in, in that diligence process. So knowing what you're stepping into too would be, I think to your point, there's a, a number of contracts that are, are disproportionately important. Um, for the performance of the asset. And of course, you know, this discussion on inverted, I think was, was really timely on that front. And then the third is perhaps to try to keep an open mind here. Like I know that our industry is so, we're so trapped into this, this thinking around, uh, like if I'm an investor, I need to win this next asset. There's like 20 other guys who are bidding alongside me. Therefore I have to assume 
X, Y, and Z things, which are, you know, a little bit crazy, but, you know, there's a certain mentality that has really set into our industry here. And I think that we, as, as an industry, need to take that step back and think through, is this what you want your name associated with for the next 10 years? Because if you're an investor, that's implicitly what you're doing. Like, this is your track record that you're, you're building here. It's a, it's, a, it's a tough discussion because I think we can both appreciate the, the factors and forces pushing the other side. But I do think there's it's, uh, bad decisions will come home to roost is the question of one. Yeah, it's been interesting. I, I think the trend to date has been, you know, the, the push from investors and owners is they have a ton of capital sitting on the sidelines that they have to deploy. And if they don't deploy that capital, you know, they're not going to keep their job. But if they deploy the capital through a process and then later on something doesn't work out, their job is fine. <laughs> and so, you know, I think the, and I'm not trying to disparage anyone. I just think it's these, you have these dislocations, you know, in the market where the value that we're paying for things and the reasons why we're paying for things are maybe not aligned to, you know, really the facts of these assets long-term, as you say. And so I'm, I'm hoping, truthfully, I hope every day that we get to a point where, you know, facts drive, you know, what happens, good projects you know, mean higher prices, you know, better, better return and, uh, and, and lower quality projects are known for what they are. Uh, but we're, I don't think we're quite there yet today. And, and if you do find yourself out there with a project that's a problem set, you're going to have to spend a little money with an o, a quality O&M provider to do the right thing to get it as good as it can be, you know, as it sits. Not as it's modeled, but as it actually sits <laughs> on the ground and in reality. And I think that's the key. So, at least from my perspective. So, uh, final thoughts? Yeah, you know, Mike, I mean, just what, what changes this in our industry? Do you know do I mean? Like, we have been on this track as an industry for a long time. Um, it's, it gets every year we, we all say to ourselves, it couldn't possibly continue <laughs> another year in this direction. And I think we've all been surprised that. Um, you know, even as we're getting to this point now where these, you, know, you can have these chronic unperformers be like, you know, 10 times more frequent than people would think. Like we thought that a year or two ago, you know, even when that number was lower, that there was already going to be a bit of an inflection point. But we've, we've been proven wrong so far. Like what, what changes in our industry here? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Richard. I mean, and I, and I don't want to end this on a doom and gloom, uh, you know, but I don't know. I wonder that, too, every year. I, I will say um, – you know, as an industry, what we're doing matters. It's it's changing the world in in very very real ways, and um and we can all be very proud. Everyone, you know, everywhere in this industry can be very proud about what we're doing. But that doesn't mean that we can't do it better, and we can't do it smarter, and we can't be more honest and more critical of ourselves, and 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 continue to move our industry and really this planet and, and our, you know, the countries that we live in and reside in and do business in forward in a positive way uh, by really being thoughtful about how we do it. So, you know, I do want to end by sort of saying, you know, we all, we all are working on, on, we're all doing work that's truly worth doing. Uh, but let's work on doing it a little bit better, maybe. So, Look, Richard, it's been great talking to you. Uh, thank you for your time. You know, CEO, founder, pretty smart guy on top of it, and a true power player, Richard Matsui. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Take care.
Find summary thoughts on this topic and more insights into operating your clean energy assets at OrigisServices.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Power Players by Orgis, critical thinking to deliver the clean energy promise.